You got a Bible? Amen. Everybody got a Bible? Yes. Wow. It, it's so interesting to me this time of year how uh, we forget things, right? How many are making lists and trying to remember everything and that uh, if we think about what it means to be a Christian, we understand that we are called to be a remembering people. And uh, that means more than remembering to take the trash out or remembering to buy somebody a gift. Uh, to be a remembering people as a Christian means that you look back into the past and you relive, you recall, you rehearse it again. But then to realize that we're not just remembering something ancient, but if anything happened in our past, it was actually the fulfillment of a prophecy. So that if we remember when Christ was born, we remember that the birth of Christ was the fulfillment of a prophetic word. So if it's the fulfillment of a prophetic word, then it came out of our future into the past. That God really doesn't come out of our past into the present. He comes out of our future prophetically into our present. What gives us the faith to believe that God's going to come into our present is that he broke into their presence one day. So I remember the past only to realize that God is coming to me from my future into today. Am I making any sense? We are a prophetic people. We don't live by what we can see physically. We live by what we can see and vision and get a revelation of that comes to us from the future. That God is always coming to us from what lies ahead. That the reason we remember what happened in the past is because he's already done it for those that have lived before us. That's why we try to remember Advent and Epiphany. We try to remember yearly the calendar. In the church calendar, this is the first day of the year. This is the first Sunday of Advent. We are beginning to tell the story again. We're looking forward to the coming of Christ as a baby that we might then journey with him towards the cross and the resurrection thereof. We always look back to see what God is doing. This morning, I want to preach out of the book of Revelation. If you have a Bible, go to Revelation chapter 1. The book of Revelation, the prophecy, the revealing, the making known of. Revelation 1.1. The revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not a revelation of Joe, but of Jesus. Which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. John. One of the disciples, the last one living by that night, bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, to all the things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein. I got to tell you, when I was a child and they read the book of Revelation, it scared the bejeebies out of me. I mean, I'm serious. They talked about blood up to the bridle. They talked about the battle of Armageddon. They talked about the apocalypse and the end. All I knew is that I didn't want to read it because it's, but we loved reading it because it scared the hell out of us. I mean, it's true. Where I grew up, if we could scare you with, I don't know that we believed in Jesus, but we believed in hell. We believed in this fiery place that was going to burn up all the bad guys. I mean, I can remember going to a youth camp and they had a pot of boiling water and they would drop bacon in it. And you could hear it sizzle. And I'd say, that's how it's going to be if you don't accept Jesus. Well, we all got saved again. <laughs> and the book of Revelation has been used to threaten the body of Christ into a relationship. Do you know that if you threaten somebody into a relationship, it's called abuse? 
that if I have to threaten you to get you to like me, then you don't really like me. You're just scared of me. I'm so excited about preaching this message. I'm more excited about preaching the gospel today than I've ever been in my life. And part of it is, is because it's taken 40 years to learn anything. And the more I learn, the more I know I don't know. John was the man that laid his head on the beating heart of Christ during the Last Supper. John was about 15 or 16 in the upper room. And he laid his head over on the chest of the Lord. And he's the last living apostle. You would think if anybody had a revelation of Jesus, it would be John. But now here John is as an old man. And he gets a fresh revelation of Jesus. Look at somebody and say, you need it's interesting to me about any time I get ready to preach Revelation, everybody thinks they have an interpretation of Revelation, and everybody knows nobody has an interpretation of Revelation. Because as good as you think you've got the revelation of Revelations, you have to understand that there's more to Jesus than can ever be seen. Am I making sense? And I realize as I preach this morning, some of you are going to argue about your definition of the end times because you're all caught up in how things are going to end. And you want to argue about how they end. Can I tell you they're going to end the way they began? That the end and the beginning are the same guy. And that in a few moments he's going to say, I was the Alpha and the Omega. And then if you want to know how he is in the end, you've got to know how he was in the beginning because he's the God that never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Anybody believe that he never changes? So if he's a good God here, then he's going to be a good God here. I was raised to believe that when he came the first time, he was good, but when he comes back the second time, he's going to kick you in the... Am I making any sense? So let's, let's understand that this coming of Jesus, he comes into a challenging world, that John is on the Isle of Patmos, he's a prisoner. You, you do know that most of what you read about Jesus came from the prisons. Most of what was written here was written by people who refused to give up their testimony of Jesus and were put in prison because of it. Their lives were not too good. Things did not go well. When they gave a testimony, they didn't testify about how God fixed all the problems in their life. They testified about how they got thrown in fires. They testified about how they got thrown in prisons. They testified about how things weren't going so good. They testified that in spite of the challenges that they had, they would not give up their witness of the Christ. That in spite of the prison, in spite of the challenges of life, they would not turn away from the fact that Jesus... Is, see, if we give testimony, we testify about what God has done to make us better. When they gave testimony, they died. They were martyrs. It's easy for me to stand up here and testify about the healing of Rachel. It's harder to give real testimony and real witness in the midst of real challenge. Am I making any sense? It's easy for Rachel to testify about the goodness of God. Today, it was harder when she was dragging a leg through the hallway. Hmm. This is the revelation who bore witness of the Christ. Blessed is he who reads it. Let me tell you, the book of Revelation is not what you think it is. 
It's not a book of how God ends the world. It's about how God ends violence. It's about how God strips evil of its power. It's about how God strips the devil of his ability to do harm. It's about how Jesus overcomes death, hell, and the grave. It's a book of revelation. It's a book of the revelation of the one who lived and died and lives again. John is on this Isle of Patmos, and he's going to have vision after vision after vision after vision. That means it didn't really happen. It's hypothetical. It's a vision. Are you getting me? It's a vision. And so it's subject to the one that has the vision. If I had a vision, it'd be about wheat fields, or boats, or motorcycles, because that's who I am. John has a vision about, am I making sense? It's like that. It's a vision. And the first vision he has is this one here in the first chapter, verse 4. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is, say he is, he was, and he is the come from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Grace and peace. Look at your neighbor and say, grace and peace, not hell and damnation. Grace and peace, not fear and torment. This God come. And from Jesus Christ, this is from Jesus. It's from Jesus, not Joe. The faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. Jesus is the ruler over the kings of the earth. He is the firstborn from the dead. He is the faithful witness. Can I say to you that unless... <laughs> That the only reason he is the ruler of the world is because he's the firstborn from the dead. What makes him in charge is because he defeated death. And the only reason he tasted death is because he refused not to give up his father. You see, only people that witness to God are going to die. And only people that are going to be raised from the dead have the right to have authority. The reason why most of you don't have any authority is because you've refused to die for the one who loved you. You're still trying to live under your own authority. The reason he's the ruler of the world is because he's been resurrected from the dead. And the reason he had to be resurrected from the dead is because he bore witness to the Father. That's who this Jesus is. He's the ruler of the world, the firstborn from the dead. He's the faithful witness that God the Father loved us. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. How many have been washed in the blood? I'm serious. How many have been washed in the blood? How many knew? Now, now, can I tell you, whose blood was it? This is a tough question. He washed us in his blood. Not the blood of his enemies. Not in your blood. You do understand that Jesus didn't win our salvation by killing our enemies. He won our salvation with the blood of his. He didn't kill his enemies, use their blood. He didn't sacrifice another lamb or a goat or another enemy. He gave himself. And it was his blood that makes us white as snow. It was his blood that allows us to be received and has made us kings and priests. When you were washed in the blood of God, guess what it did? It made you a kingdom of priests. It made each one of us mediators 
wrote witnesses of the fact that God died so that we could live. Say with me, we witness to the fact that it was his blood, not the blood of his enemies, that made him to be who he is and made us. And he is coming in the clouds. I love this verse. John, I know you're in prison on the island Patmos. I know you think that I have failed you. I know that it's been 70 years since Jesus ascended into heaven and you're the last apostle left and nothing around you looks good. Nothing around John looked good. But here is the one who washed you and he's coming. Touch your neighbor and say he's coming. I want you to understand that the reason why we can live today, tomorrow, and forever is because he who was and is and is to come is coming. Say he's coming. He, 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 he's not forgotten that we're here and every eye will see him. Wow. And even those that pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, even so, amen. I am the Alpha, the beginning and the end, says the Lord who was, is and was and is to come. I, John, your brother and companion in tribulation. Say brother and companion in stuff. How many know that none of us are above tribulation? None of us are above trouble. We all are stuff. I, John, and you, and me, and Bill, and Bob, we are in the tribulation of the kingdom. And the patience of Jesus Christ was on the isle called Patmos, for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus was coming to us. I was in the spirit of the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a voice like a trumpet. That I am the Alpha, the Omega, the First, the Last, what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches that are in Asia, Ephesus, Samaria, Pergasus, Sardius, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Can I tell you that God never speaks to you from what you're looking at? I'm telling you, I'm looking at that door, but God doesn't ever speak to me from what has my attention. He always speaks to me from behind. He always speaks from whatever I'm not paying attention to. In fact, most of the time, whatever I'm paying attention to is keeping me from hearing what I need to be hearing. How many of you know that as long as you keep your face in that thing called whatever it's called, you'll never be hearing God. Google will never reveal God to you. I love you, but when you walk up to me and say, I Googled that, I don't care. There are no monitors on Google. They can put any. Did you know Wikipedia can be mounted, uh, changed by anybody? Oh, I read this on Wikipedia. Big deal. Dodo down the street did that. It's very interesting to me. You, you, just because information is accessible doesn't mean it's true. We're not living in the information age. We're living in the disinformation age. We're living in, in a world that today has alternates to truths. We're living in a world today that lies to you for a living. We live in a world that doesn't care whether they tell you the truth. They just want you to believe whatever they want you to believe. Oh, you're not listening to me. Today, it takes a real witness to stand up and be true to the truth and not to what the crowd says. Oh. See, in the end, there will be all these rumors and these wars of rumors. and just it, it'd be, but, but listen to me. He who is says faithful, he said, there was a voice behind me. And then I turned to see the voice that spoke to me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. You see, Mary turned from the tomb and saw the gardener. She didn't know it was Jesus. How many times do you turn and now you're even looking at what you're supposed to be looking at, but you don't know what you're looking at? Which means we live in a perpetual life of turning. 
I'm blind, and then I turn, and I see, but I really don't see. I see men walking as trees, and he touches me again, and I turn a little more, and then I turn a little more, and I turn a little more, and I repent a little more, and I repent a little more, because the word repent means to turn and look somewhere other than where you've been looking. Maybe your reading of the Scriptures needs to be turned a little bit, because you've been reading the Scriptures from your own perspective, your own individual interpretation, your own denominational view, and all you can see is what you've always seen, and you're unwilling to look at the Christ again. Listen, the word doesn't change, but your ability to understand what the word needs to mature. The writer of Proverbs says, how long will you remain simple, O simple one? How long will you be stuck in your interpretation? How long will you be stuck in your vision of the Christ? How long will you think that this is what he's doing? And this is who he is. John, I know you're confused about being in prison. I know you're confused by the tribulation of your time. Let me show you me. God never comes to change the tribulation. He always comes to change your vision of who he is. Because when you get a clearer vision of who he is, you'll be able to look at the times and the troubles that you're in from a different perspective. Am I making sense? We want God to change the circumstances and the conditions around us. God's wanting to change the way you see Him because the way you look through Him will alter the conditions around you. Oh, we're living in the last days. Listen, we've been living in the last days since I was this tall. Armageddon's been coming. God is not talking to us about Armageddon. He's talking to us about our ability to see Him as He is. That our conversion to see and to trust and to look again. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with... I could back up and teach on one. There's one. Say one. You can make up as many Jesuses as you want to. There's one. There was one in the fire with the other three. And there's one standing in the middle of these lampstands. His name is Jesus the Christ. The faithful witness. The firstborn from the dead. The ruler of the world. There's one like the Son of Man clothed with a garment to the feet. And girded about the chest with a golden band. A long robe with a sash. How many deacons I got in here this morning? I got a few. Stand up. Just stand up if you're one of the deacons in the house. And, and what is it I ask you to wear every once in a while? A robe and a what? Huh. Huh. All the time they make fun of us about being too Catholic or too Roman. Can I tell you? It's just a revelation of the one who's standing in the center. And when you're standing with that robe on and that sash on, you're representing somebody beside yourself. You can sit down. So all the naysayers that want to get around and make fun of the fact that sometimes I wear a robe, I want you to understand, I got it pretty scripturally. Because when you stand in the robe, you've lost your own identity and been clothed with his. You're not standing out as an individual. You're standing in the midst of him. Oh, that we would recover the reality and lose our romophobia. Side note. And his head and hair were like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame, and his feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Just raise your hand. He's got one hand in the stars. Can you see it? And his feet are on the ground. I just want you to know, this God can hold the stars in one hand and touch the earth with his feet. Are you getting the picture? This God is so big and so broad that he can hold up the heavens and stabilize the earth all at the same time. 
That he can be on your island, wherever your island may be, and have his other hand in the heavens and could be communicating the stuff from heaven to your island all at the same time. Some of you think you're living on an island. It's okay. You can be on an island. You're connected to heaven. Oh, you're not getting this. Jesus is literally the thing that puts his hand in the heavens and touches into your life. He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a two-edged sword. Hear me, Jesus never carries a sword in his hand. Now, one time does he pick up a sword to fight his enemy. The sword comes out of his mouth. It is the word that comes out of his mouth that is a double-edged sword dividing asunder between the spirit and the flesh. The heart and the intent. He never carries it as a weapon. He speaks it out of his mouth. Are you listening to me? Can I tell you that every word that comes out of his mouth encourages, builds up, edifies, and exhort. It never tears down or destroys or judges. It always says, Father, forgive them for putting their spear in my side. The words of his mouth will never condemn. They'll never do that. I'm telling you, I was raised with the fact that when he comes the second time, he was going to kill his enemies. Honey, he ain't going to kill who he died for. He died for his enemies. I'm telling you, you've got to see this from a different perspective. The grace of God is far bigger than you think it is. Far larger than you think it is. When his word is spoken, it brings life and health to those that hear it. It doesn't bring death or destruction. You've been handed a bill of goods about the revelation of Jesus because someone about 300 years ago decided to hold you over the fires of an angry God. He was wrong. But we have taken that one sermon preached many, many years ago and preached it as gospel when the truth is that God is not an angry God holding you open an open flame. He is a loving God holding you in His embrace of grace. Are you listening to me? Many of you have been hoodwinked into thinking that God was good when he comes as a baby. He's going to be angry when he comes. No, he's not, because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he was good here and he died for his enemies here, Dale, he's going to die for his enemies when he comes here too. Are you listening to me? I'm just begging you to understand that John had nearly given up in his island of prison. And God says, here, let me help you. And his countenance was like the sun shining in his strength. In other words, in the first chapter of the book of Revelation, they lift the veil and Jesus says, look at me. This is who I am. And John beholds the glory. He had seen it once before on the top of a mountain. Remember? Once when he was a young teenager... He went with Peter and James to the top of a mountain and he was transfigured. And many of you will see me before you die. And all of a sudden on this island in despair, in the tribulation of his times, Jesus lifts back the veil and John has a vision of the glory of God, of the presence of God, of the goodness of God. And in his presence there is fullness of joy at his right. And he sees this and his countenance is like the shining of the sun. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though I were dead. Man, how many of you know that if you were to see the brilliance of God, you'd go face down? Are you listening to me? 
But he laid his right hand on me and said to me, Do not be afraid. The first words you hear this risen, majestic God with his hand in the heavens and his feet on the earth, fire from the loins up, fire from the loins down, is he said, You need to know you never have to be afraid of me. Merry Christmas. Any religion that calls itself Christian but leaves you afraid of Jesus is not Christian. If there's any fear in you about God's love for you, if there's any fear in you about the times in which we are living, hear me, perfect love cast out all fear. To know God in His fullness is to know that you don't have to be afraid of the end of the world. You don't have to be afraid of the end of nothing because He who is the Alpha and the Omega is your friend. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll never stop being good and generous and kind and loving and merciful to you. His word that comes out of His mouth will always be Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. God's grace is so much greater. Who he is, is the God that says, don't be afraid of me. And if you're not afraid of me, who is fire up and fire down, if you're not afraid of me, why would you need to be afraid of the times in which you're living? Why do you need to be afraid of anything? For I make all things work together for your good, John. If I've waited for you to live in prison on the Isle of Patmos, I have a plan. If I have waited and left you dragging your leg down the hallway for three months, Rachel, I have a plan. If I'm having you work in a job that you hate, I have a plan. If you feel like you're all alone and weak, I have a plan. I don't want you to be afraid of whatever time you're living in. It's not just about the end time, it's about this time. It's been about that time when it was my grandparents and my great-grandparents and my great-grandparents before them. And I kind of tell you, it'll be about that for my grandchildren that outlive me. For those of you that are having rapture practice, keep practicing. <laughs> but I see the church of God going into the third millennium beautifully. Do you understand that your children right now, that baby right there, Chandler, she'll live into the 22nd century. You're worried about this culture. I'm thinking about the culture she's going to live in in the 22nd century. While the church of America is preparing to change the culture and make sure we hold the fort. Can I tell you, I'm more concerned about making sure she has the faith that will always carry her into whatever century she's living in. Because this isn't about my life. It's about his life and your life and that life and generations yet to come, Abraham. We should be preaching a gospel that could be lived for another thousand generations. No matter what comes. This isn't about the end of time. This is about all time. It's about the end of fear. The end of evil. The end of violence. The end of the ways of the world. And letting the kingdom of God be made manifest in the midst of our life. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. John, that's who I am. I'm the one that destroyed death, 
hell and the grave. I have the keys of death, hell and the grave. You don't have to worry about death. You don't have to worry about the end because I am the resurrection and the life. And I've given that to you. You can live in your time in the midst of that time with all confidence and faith and assurance that I'm for you. That I'm more than a conqueror. That whatever you're going through, I am the one that defeated death. You'll never die, John. Are you listening? When we start celebrating the birth of the Christ, we're celebrating the coming of the majesty of God that in, oh, makes heaven available to us right now. I am he who has the keys. <laughs> Isn't interesting. He doesn't take the keys and say, I have the keys. Oh, I don't have Anita always has keys. He doesn't go, I have the keys now. I have the authority. I could squash you like a bug. I'm the king of kings, the lord of lords. I am. He says, I have the keys. Let me give them to you. I'm the king of kings. Let me make you a king. This is not a king that needs to rule over subjects. This is a king that is able to make everybody around him a king and a priest. He doesn't lord over us like the world does. He said, that should not be like that with you. There's no one in this room over anybody else. Even God said, I don't need to lord over you. Here, I'll give you the keys. I'll share my authority and my dominion and my power. Are you getting this? Who are you under? Nobody. I'm beside somebody. Who are you under? I'm, I'm with somebody. Do you understand? I stand around the same throne. I sit on the same throne. This God doesn't come to dominate. He comes to let you. <laughs> he doesn't have to be the biggest and the strongest to defeat you. He lets you be the biggest and strongest along with him. I have the keys, John. Calm down. And if I have the keys, John, you have the keys. Relax. Listen, I had the keys when they nailed me to the cross. I had the authority when they put me on the cross. They didn't take my life. I laid it down. Calm down, John. Listen, John, when you're weak and when you're the least and when you're the lowest and when you're about to cave in, understand, that's when you're the strongest, John. No one's keeping you on this Isle of Patmos. What's keeping you on the Isle of Patmos and keeping you in the midst, the thing that you're in is your unwillingness to de deny me. See, if you denied me, the enemy would let you go. But you stay in this prison, not because the enemy can keep you in this prison, but because you're unwilling to deny that I'm the Lord. Do you understand? Every one of us. You, you want to get out of the mess you're in? Just stand up, curse Jesus, and move on, Job. The devil will bring you everything you needed. Go ahead. Just do whatever the devil tempts you to do in the midst of that wilderness. The minute you do, he'll make everything in this world work for you. Or stay submitted to God in the midst of the trial that you're in and understand that God has even a greater weight of glory for you than the temporary issues of this world. You might be living in an island and in trouble right now, but can I tell you? They don't have anything over you. Am I, am I in this room? See, we don't have any theology for living in the midst of tribulation because we don't understand it's when we're weak that we're strong. 
I am the one that holds the keys. And I've given you those keys. And I stand in the middle of lampstands and in the middle of the church. Whatever is going on, understand that we're the resurrected. That when I was resurrected, you were resurrected. And wherever you stand, John, I stand with you. That you are power under the control of the mercy of the Most High. Second vision. Do you see him? Can you close your eyes and see him standing with you wherever you're at this morning? Merry Christmas. You ought to see him sitting with you in the midst of that mess that you're in and understand that he is right there. All the power and all the authority and that he's withholding that for the sake of those that are killing him. That he's withholding that for the mercy of those that put him on the island. Are you listening? This is bigger than John. It's about the kingdom of God. Verse chapter 5. And I saw, now he's in heaven. This is interesting to me. John's, is John on an island or is he in heaven? Is he in heaven or is he on an island? John is the most confusing thing to me because one minute he's on this island of Patmos bemoaning the fact that he's in tribulation. He sounds like David. One minute David's going, I want you to kill my enemies. And the next minute David's going, thank you God. John is like, one day he's on this island, of Annette, and then the next minute, I'm standing in heaven. The Spirit of the Lord has brought me here. And I, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals. And then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll to loosen its seals? And no one in heaven or earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept very much because no one was found worthy to open it and read the scroll. Do you remember the last time Jesus opened a scroll? Jesus took the scroll, opened it up to Isaiah, and read it. For the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me that I might preach the gospel to the poor, that I might open the eyes of the blind, that I might proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Do you know that the scroll represents the very will of God being done? All of a sudden, John is going, I am weeping because no one will open the... Listen to me. When you're standing here, you just want the will of God to come. And you're weeping for someone to open the will of God and proclaim it to be done. And then the elders looked at him and said, oh, stop weeping. Because there is one that can open the will of God and make it come. And it's the lamb that was slain. Do you understand that only Jesus can open up the will of God and bring it to the earth? Because everybody else would use it as a sword to kill. He will use it as a sword to heal. Man, we as prophets need to be weeping between the porch and the altar. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Do your will down here. Jesus doesn't come to destroy his enemies. He comes to destroy our fear. His glory comes to destroy our apprehensions and our anxiety in his presence. He isn't coming to destroy the enemies. He isn't come to destroy sinners. He's coming to open their eyes. He's coming to heal them once and for all. Man, I could take you through the book of Revelation and show you. He comes to make war. Do you know they never describe the war in the Bible? They never describe the war in the Bible. The only blood you see on the robe, the only blood that's going to flow bridal deep is his. He's never going to shed somebody else's blood. The blood that's rolling up to here is the blood of the Lamb. 
that will cover the earth and free every soul. In the midst of a world that is secularized, all focused on them, in the midst of a world that becomes more nationalistic with every moment, he said, from every tribe and nation, they will worship me, John. Every tribe and every nation. Do you understand? Jesus was born in a foreign place. Do you understand he was raised as an immigrant? Do you understand that he is a refugee? Do you understand that God looks past our nationalism into his kingdom? Do you understand that any church that doesn't understand that is not the church? Because the church celebrates every nation, tribe, and tongue. The church makes hospitality for everyone. You hear me, I beg you, I beg you, I beg you to look at the world today that's in tribulation through the eyes of the Christ because it's a different world when you see it through the eyes of the Christ and not through the nationality that you have been fitted with. I beg you. When you look at it through the eyes of the Christ, you get to the end of the book and you say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Put an end to this mess. Put an end to the gossip and the condemning and the segregation. Put an end to it. Stop this thing. Come, Jesus. Come. Come quickly. Because you're the God that comes with grace and mercy and unity and love. Come, Jesus. Come through my life in 2019. Let me step out of the crowd that's condemning and judgmental. Let me step out of the crowd that looks at color and nationality. Let me step out of the crowd that wants to judge. Let me step out of that crowd of even gospel preachers who want to align themselves with certain things. Let me step out of that crowd. Let me keep the testimony of he who was and is and is to come. Let me keep the testimony of the one who out of his mouth comes grace and mercy and unity and forgiveness. Let me keep that and not be codified by the times in which I live. Don't let me accommodate these times. Let me step out of these times and be a servant of another time. Be the manifestation of the kingdom of God and not the divisions of this world. Are you hearing me? For out of heaven came a baby that was laid in a manger for the world, not just for Israel, but for the world. Church, you and I must stand apart from our times and give a revelation of the one who was slain and now lives in us. Can't this change our worlds? You and I were raised in a moment, but I'm telling you, we're on the edge of a different prophetic utterance. It's not the one that we were raised with. I'm your pastor. I'm begging you. Look at it through the eyes of the Christ. Turn a little further. Turn a little further. Hear a clearer voice. 
see it a clearer way. We are living in a time that needs to see the Prince of Peace, the Father of Time, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one who is for all, and not just for me, but for all. As we proclaim the birth of Christ the King, may He be Christ the King, Lord of heaven and earth, not of my interpretation, not of my pet description, not of google.com. Am I making sense? Free of the denominationalism, of the polarization of politics, or the accommodation of a culture. Free to look through the eyes of the one who died for his enemies. Hmm. So I can have hope, peace, and joy because I know him and the purity of his gospel. Father, I pray this morning that every person that would perhaps be willing to hear, every person that, yes, has known your beating heart for their whole lives, would be willing to be surprised by the unimaginable mercy of the Christ who has come and is coming. May we stop speaking in a way that makes people afraid. May we speak in a way that brings them into the comfort and the peace of a gracious and living God. May we stop asking the Holy Spirit to do our bidding. And may we simply do the bidding of the Spirit that's in us. Lord, in the midst of a busy, busy, busy world, may we come to rest in the reality of your presence. Open our eyes to see, and our ears to hear, 